Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. While it may not be to everyone's taste, this holiday food is a combination of two different types of meat. It is served in a rich, dark gravy and is a comfort food for many French Canadians. We're exploring the history and origins of pork hock stew. If you grew up celebrating Christmas in Canada, you probably remember running downstairs as early as possible on December 25th to unwrap the gifts under the tree, then eating a big turkey dinner that evening. But while you were playing with your new toys, your French-Canadian neighbors were likely fast asleep because they stayed up all night praying, singing, dancing, and above all, eating. This celebration, known as the Réveillon, and the traditions and foods associated with it speak to the history of Francophones in Ontario and across Canada. I'm your host, Glenn Warren, and welcome to another serving of Seasons Eatings, the podcast which explores the history and origins of your favorite Christmas foods. Seasons Eatings can be found wherever you download your favorite podcasts. If you haven't already, I would ask you to subscribe. That way you won't miss an episode when it's released and all future episodes will be available without you having to search for them. If you can please take a minute and leave me a five-star review, I would greatly appreciate it. Reviews help others find the podcast and help me know that you're enjoying what I'm doing. And if you let me know you've left a review, I'll send you a Seasons Eatings sticker as a personal thank you. Seasons Eatings is also found on most socials. All the links can be found in the show notes, which can be found at seasonseatingspodcast.com. And while you're there, you can buy me an eggnog. Just click on the little cup at the top of the page and leave a donation for as little as $3. Each donation is used for the running of the podcast and its general upkeep, so any help would be greatly appreciated. Finally, you can let me know how I'm doing, leave a suggestion for a future episode, or just say hello at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com. Réveillon comes from the French word réveil, meaning to wake up. In the 19th century, it was practically required for all good French Catholics to stay up late and attend midnight mass. To be in church the moment Christmas Day began and hear the hymn Minuit Chrétien, known in English as O Holy Night. After the service, families would return home to feast and make merry until dawn. The tradition developed at a time when most men were farmers or manual laborers who started work early and went to bed early, says Michel Prévost, 
chief archivist at the University of Ottawa. It was also an era without electric lighting. These factors, Prevost explains, make staying up late a truly exceptional occasion. It was undoubtedly the only time of year where young children would be woken in the middle of the night so they could take part in the celebration, he said. The main focus of the traditional réveillon was the food. The menu varied from family to family, but common dishes included ragout de boulette, meatballs in ground gravy, les pâtes de cochon, pig's feet cooked slowly until incredibly tender, and served with potatoes. This ham hock stew is one of the main dishes served during Christmas Eve. The ragout de pâte de cochon, or the pork hock stew, is made with a rich, dark gravy. The flour for the gravy is toasted until it's a rich, dark color on a dry pan. The ham hocks are boiled in broth for a couple hours, then tenderly taking the meat off the bone. The meatballs are hand-rolled, usually about the size of a quail egg, and about a hundred or so are made for the stew. And then everything is combined together, cooked again for another hour or two, until you have this nice, dark, rich gravy with ham hocks and tender meatballs that be served with fork tender potatoes. A ham hock, or pork knuckle, is the joint where the foot is attached to the hog's leg. In Canada, particularly Montreal, ham hocks are referred to as pig's knuckles and are served in bistros and taverns with baked beans. Most of the food for the Christmas Eve service was home cooked and women would work for weeks in advance to make sure the dinner table was filled with as many options as possible. But the réveillon and the importance of the meal to the celebration had its origins in a less prosperous era, one in which French Canadians were generally poorer than their Anglophone counterparts. From 1763 to 1800, the relationship between the British colonial rulers and the traditional clerical and seigneurial leaders of French Canada was tense, but yet cordial. They shared the same commitment to the Ancien Régime values and institutions. Both the Quebec Act of 1774 and the Constitutional Act of 1791 were deliberate attempts to reinforce the existing colonial social and political structures. However, this social contract began to break down after 1800, when Quebec's economy and social structure were altered in fundamental ways. By 1820, Montreal was no longer the centre of the fur trade, and the wheat economy of Lower Canada was in the final stages of decline. The seigneurial class lacking its traditional access to wealth in the army, in the bureaucracy, and commerce declined very rapidly after 1800. And the Catholic Church was unprepared at this time to assert control over Quebec society. It was into this unstable context that a new francophone professional middle class emerged. This ambitious new class used the ideologies of nationalism and political liberalism to gain control over the Assembly of Lower Canada in 1810. 
and then began to push for full control over the office of governor and the legislative and executive councils. When successive governors, with the support of the Anglo-Scottish merchants, refused to share power in any meaningful way, the Francophone middle class, under the banner of the Parti Patriot, advocated political reforms that would grant full control over the appointed councils. They intended to create an independent French-Canadian Republic under the presidency of Louis-Joseph Papineau. The Parti Patriot attempted to seize power through arms. The revolt failed because it lacked popular support and strong and courageous leadership, and because of the quick and harsh counter-offensive of well-armed British troops, the Parti Patriot was left in total disarray and the separatist option was discredited for generations. In the aftermath of the rebellions, the Durham Report and the Act of Union in 1840, which united Upper and Lower Canada into the province of Canada and placed French-Canadian society firmly under control of Anglophone-controlled assembly and executive councils, the Francophone professional middle class divided into two groups. One group cooperated with Upper Canadian reformers in the struggle for an achievement of responsible government in 1848. The second group, comprising remnants of the Parti Patriot and a younger generation of nationalists, rejected the Act of Union and campaigned for its repeal. As committed political nationalists, they fought for the creation of a politically autonomous, secular, and democratic Quebec nation-state. In a society where we live now in abundance, it's very different, Prévost said. Under the control of Anglo-Canada, French Canadians now use local resources, more so than before, to help create the Christmas meal. The use of pork is baked into French culture. Dine in any establishment and it will be on the menu as uh, les crétons en toast, a tortière, which is a pork pie, and of course bacon en poutine. And you will find it again in the meatball and pork hock stew. Pigs are very easy to raise, especially in the Canadian climate. They eat practically anything, and a sow can have up to six to eight piglets twice a year. Quebec cuisine leans towards comfort fare. In this region shaped by farming and lengthy winters, hearty homemade food is integral to the daily diet. The abundance of pigs makes the prospect of eating pork three times a day a reality, not just a dream, especially popular in rural areas. In a society where we now live in abundance, it's very different, says Prevost. Today we can look at the way we eat and say it's Christmas practically every day. Back then, if there were oranges for the feast, it was very exceptional. Now you can buy winter strawberries and all the produce that comes from the United States. For young people, it's difficult to understand how it used to be. And although Catholic prudishness discouraged drinking, the Réveillon was an opportunity for French Canadians to let loose a bit, Prévost says. Men would indulge in hard liquor, particularly rum and whiskey, while women would enjoy a bit of sweet wine. 
or if they were a little bit more wealthy, perhaps a higher quality wine from France. In the early 1900s, conditions had improved somewhat, though French Canadians were still poor. Most families would eat a mix of potatoes and pork on their plate, which is still a staple combination today. We'll find out about the history of ragu after the break. Do you long for those casual Friday nights spent in on the couch, cuddled up with a blanket, maybe some delivery pizza without a care in the world? Then I have the podcast for you. Hey, I am Matt, and I am the host of TGI Podcast. As a product of the 1990s, I want to go back and take a look at all of the classic TGIF shows, as well as many other classic sitcoms from that era, to determine if they truly are a holiday classic. We've got you covered with Halloween and Thanksgiving in the fall before we go full steam ahead with Christmas in December. Come give us a listen if you want to take a trip down 90s Nostalgia Lane. Hi, this is Scott from Holly Jolly Xmasu, your podcast destination for Japanese Christmas music. If you like Christmas music and are tired of the same old songs, this is the podcast for you. Join me each month as I explore my collection of Yuletide albums from Japan, featuring everything from city pop to 80s rock, long-lost jazz, and psychedelic garage rock. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. It's some of the greatest Christmas music you've never heard. The cuisine of Quebec evolved from that of the 17th century northern France. Ragu was the brainchild of Alberto Alvisi, chef to the Cardinal of Amola in the 18th century. It is said that the cook developed his recipe from a French ragu, a meat stew popularized in Italian cuisine after Napoleonic soldiers brought the dish from invading the country in 1796. More affluent and aristocratic Italians were captivated by French culture, including their traditional cuisine, paving the way for Italian iterations of classic French dishes such as ragu. It was nearly two centuries later when Alvisi's early recipe was brought into the public eye when journalists Aureliano Bassani and Giancarlo Raversi came across Alvisi's recipe for the Cardinal's ragu a slowly stewed dish of mince, onion, and tomato, flavored with pepper and cinnamon, and served with macaroni. At this time, macaroni is a blanket term referring, referring to any type of pasta. Prior to its induction in the region of Emilia-Romagna in the 18th, late 18th century, this stew was not known as ragu, it, nor was it served as pasta. While Italian cuisine had long featured hearty meat stews, they were not served with pasta regularly. Early iterations of modern pasta are served with rustic meat broths rather than substantial sauces. In terms of etymology, 
Ragu stems from the French word ragu, which is in turn derived from ragouté, meaning to add flavor or to awaken the appetite. Ragu is a seasoned meat stew that was brought to Italy by Napoleonic soldiers. Nowadays, ragu is a general term that refers to any traditionally meat sauce that is cooked over low heat for a long period of time. Ragus hold a very important place in the history of French cuisine, and the word has always meant stew. Ragus began as stews of mushrooms or vegetables, then meat and poultry and fish were then added. France's first printed cookbook came from the mid-1600s, and it included ragus. Over the next 400 years, ragus have remained as important but not heavy stews of meat, or fish or shellfish. A ragu is rarely a thick and heavy stew. Heavy stews have their own descriptive names in French cuisine. Outside of France, a ragu may have little connection with stews. The word sounds nice, and so you may find the word ragu on a variety of would-be French menu listings. The original recipes for ragus were either lightly stewed mushrooms, vegetables, or stews with beef or mutton, that is, uh, lamb. In the beginning, only those who could afford kitchen staff ate a variety of dishes at every meal, and those meals always included a meat, poultry, or game at every meal except on Fridays when fish was served. Ordinary people, if they were lucky enough to eat something other than bread, they ate a single course of vegetable stew, with the well-to-do adding bits of meat, poultry, or fish. Until the 1800s, the wealthy ate in the French manner. That meant that everything from the soup to the dessert was displayed on a display table when all the diners walked in. Unfortunately, by the time the diner sat down to eat, the soup would be lukewarm and the roast meat or roast pheasant cold. Vegetable ragouts did not include tomatoes until the late 1700s. Until then, tomatoes were considered a decorative plant and was often given as a gift, although the fruit was considered poisonous and never eaten. Following on the French Revolution came France's most famous chef, Antonin Carême. Carême made dining in the Russian manner popular with the aristocracy. Hence, separate courses would be served one after the other in a manner that we dine today. Ragus then included delicacies like sweetbreads and were often served as an appetizer, the French entree. Following on Carême came other French chefs with their cookbooks offering recipes for a ragout brun, a brown ragout. That would be beef or game that was braised for color before being stewed in a meat stock and often red wine. At the same time came recipes for a ragout blanc, a white ragout that would be for veal, lamb, rabbit, hare, poultry, shellfish, or fish, and have a cream or a creme fraiche, white wine, and light stock in the recipe. A fricassee and a blanquette are different names for a ragout blanc. Today, many meat and game ragouts begin with only a few vegetables. The vegetables listed will be cooked separately and added just before serving. Cooked too long, the vegetables basically melt away. 
The earliest recipe for ragout is in the first printed cookbook Le Cuisinier François, the French cook, written close to 1650 by François-Pierre de Lachevarenne in 1618 to around 1678. The French Canadian pork hock stew is a traditional French Canadian food that you definitely have to make for a Christmas Eve dinner. It will leave your tummy full and your house smelling wonderfully spiced. Plus, you'll have enough leftovers to have for lunch and a nice fresh baguette. And remember, if someone has taken the time to make you a ragu, realize that this stew has been braising for hours. The pork has to be simmered for an hour or two, then the meatballs have to be made and cooked, and then the flour for the ragu has to be prepared, toasted to a nice golden brown or darker. All the ingredients are put back into a pot. Broth is added and cooked again for another hour or two. It is then served with some boiled potatoes and pickled beets. So enjoy this holiday comfort food anytime the weather turns a little bit chilly. According to Prévost, the Réveillon began to change in the 1960s and 70s following the Quiet Revolution when church attendance declined dramatically and Christmas came to be seen as more secular, commercial holiday. It was around this time that people started to exchange gifts as part of the celebrations. Réveillon also became a Christmas Eve celebration rather than one that took place after midnight. Today, there are almost no midnight masses, Prévost says. We went from services at midnight to masses at 11 p.m., 10 p.m., 9 p.m. Now I even see there are midnight masses that are scheduled for 6 p.m. The Réveillon that started late at night and went all night, where folks danced and drank and sang, that's mostly ended. But there are surely some exceptions. I'm Glenn Warren, and thank you for listening to this serving of Seasons Eatings. Seasons Eatings is available on all your major podcast players. Please, if you can leave a review about the show so we can spread the Christmas cheer. And I know we all get busy, especially during the holidays. So just sharing the podcast with someone you know who loves Christmas would mean so much. Also, I would love to hear from you. Send me an email at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com and let me know how you like the show, suggestions for future episodes, or just to say hi. And if you let me know you've left a review, I'll send you a Seasons Eating sticker for your trouble, as well as my unwavering gratitude. And if you're feeling extra generous this season, you can buy me an eggnog. Head on over to seasonseatingspodcast.com and click on the little cup in the corner. Each small donation helps with the daily running of the podcast and is greatly appreciated. Seasons Eatings is also part of the Christmas Podcast Network. So head on over to christmaspodcast.com and find your next podcast addiction. All music for Seasons Eatings is used under the Creative Commons license.